Hey, welcome to the All In Podcast, and this is your host, Natalie Alport. I'm so grateful that you're here to listen to this episode. Now, I'm joined by fellow Canadian Akeem Haynes, who won the bronze medal in the 2016 Olympics in the 4 by 100 meter sprint. He's an incredible athlete with an equally incredible story. In this podcast, we talk about resiliency, adaptability, tips for athletes, for anyone looking to improve their mindset and their performance and just their general outlook in life. He also shares his upbringing, the highs and lows, including being homeless. I really enjoyed this conversation with Akeem and we covered so many different topics. So without further ado, let's go all in. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation, to learn something new, or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. All right, welcome to the All In Podcast. Today, I am joined by Olympic bronze medalist, author, and fellow Canadian, Akeem Haynes. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I got much respect and admiration for what you do and how you go about it. You know, as Canadians, you know, we got to stick together, right? (laughs) Yes, I love it. I need to have way more Canadians on this show. So I'm just so excited because I actually, I can remember watching uh, your race in the Olympics. I'm like, I I love watching sprinting. So it's, uh, it's really cool to connect now. It's crazy. I haven't even thought about that race very much because Time just flies so, so quickly. And, you know, it's 2021 that happened in 2016. It's crazy how time flies. Yeah, that must be so insane. Because I know for me in snowboarding, there's competitions like every weekend. I think in track and field, is it a little bit more spread out? Or at least like the Olympics is such a big deal that um, that time between the events is just so long. But when you look back, it's, it's like it goes by super fast. Yeah, you know, I think four years comes by quicker than most people think, right? But every single year, there's either a world championships or some other championship there. So from the outside looking in, the Olympics seems like this big magnanimous event. But ultimately, we've been racing these guys all year for years, right? So nothing changes but just the title of where we are in the venue. But um, when you really think about it, you know, you 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 work towards that pinnacle to get there, but the training of it starts four years out. Right. Yeah. That's it's, it's a long quad to go through. I think a lot of athletes who might not come from a sport that is an Olympic sport or has the same pressure, like for example, um, X games, which is every year is more exclusive than getting into the Olympics. So a lot of athletes, especially being that snowboarding only got into, uh, at least my discipline into the Olympics in 2014, the Olympics was like, it was just another competition in a sense, but I, I, I would assume in the sport of track and field, it's like the competition. Is there anything that changes with like your nerves and the pressure leading up? Or is it just, you know, all the press and hype surrounding it? You know, uh, honestly, the only thing that really hampers athletes at the Olympic Games is external stuff. Right. And it's not really the big things that you would think. It's not the reporters. It's none of that. It's okay. Your family's coming over. Are they going to be okay? Right. And so they're calling you and they say, I can't find my hotel or I can't find this. Or how do I get here? So how do I get tickets? And you don't want to be scrimmaging around to try to get tickets. And then you're wondering, how am I going to get it to my family? You know, are they safe over there? The people coming in. So it's like trying to be trying to do all the housekeeping duties while you're trying to focus and trying to sleep and trying to rest. So when you're at the Olympic Games, the preparation to get there is all mental, right? Because if you're there, you're physically in shape and you're physically ready to do what you're supposed to do. But it's all these mental battles and these mental things, right? Like 
you may come in, you know, from, from a normal training preparation, you come in and you see, you know, you saw there trying to get, you know, some samples and you're just like, yo, I just saw you yesterday. Like, why are you here again? <laughs> right. So it's just going with the flow and trying not to feed too much into the things that you really can't change. But once you get there, I always said the Olympics is like a big poker game, right? Because everybody's nervous. Everybody's thinking about losing. Everybody's thinking about, man, this is, this is a big deal. However, it's the one that plays at the calmest and trust the process leading up there that usually does well because nerves are good, but it's just like fire, being able to harness it and use it to your advantage. That's what really separates um, at that level. Mm, I, I like what you said about all those external things to, to deal with. And I think a lot of athletes, they reach this elite level of competition, this next level. And often you do see that first Olympic games or that first world championships, and they're dealing with their family flying in and um, managing sponsors or their friends or whatever it is. And they do get very overwhelmed. And then I think after a few years or a few different, you know, of big events, they get used to it and they're able to handle that. How can you how can you get into that mindset quicker as an athlete so that you're going into an event and you're not looking like, Oh, this is my first time. I'm just happy to be here, but you can go into it. Like I'm here to perform and do my best and possibly win. I think you have to mimic that in training. I've always been one of those people who I always thought way more in practice than I did in competition. So when competition came, my body was going to do what it's going to do. But in practice, I would over-exaggerate everything. Right. I would say, man, you know, I would create stories in my head. I'm kind of crazy sometimes like that. Right. I would say, man, you know, it's Olympic final. I got to beat my training partner 30 meters. I know he's going to come back. And so I would create all of these different scenarios inside my head. And so when I got to those competitions, it was like, okay, this never happened, but I was prepared for it as if it give you a prime example. Uh, 2016, um, I'm about to run the 100 meters. This is Friday. No, sorry. This is Wednesday about to run the 100 heats uh, Thursday morning. So my agent calls me, <laughs> agent calls me Wednesday. and says, Akeem, man, we got, we got an offer on the table. I said, man, perfect, beautiful, man. Let's, let's, let's talk about it after the heats. He said, no, they need an answer by tonight. I said, okay, um, well, let's see what my old sponsors are saying and let's see what Puma is saying. So the agent goes and he talks and I'm just sitting there and he calls me, he says, okay, Puma wants to offer you this money. And um, Brooks isn't going to do this. I said, okay, well, let's take the Puma pool. Cool, man. He's like, okay, they're going to have the spikes over a little later tonight. What do you mean? They're going to have the spikes a little bit later over tonight. Um, for people listening in, like, and I'm sure, you know, as well too, you have, you know, your board, right. Or in track, you have your spikes that you use specifically people train in these same spikes that's molded to your feet and you develop this relationship with the spike. So I had been training in a specific spike all this year. And so my agent said, man, you have to wear these spikes because now you're on a contract with Puma and they want to see their spike on the Olympic games, on the world stage. I said, uh. I said, man, I don't know if I can, like, I don't know if I can do that. He says, you don't have a choice. <laughs> so Knock on the door a little bit later, the spikes come. And I remember looking at the spikes and I'm looking at them. I said, man, this isn't, I know on the surface, it may not seem like it's a big deal, but when you're in certain things, you want to get to a state of comfortability, right? Where everything just feels normal. So I get the spikes the next morning. Um, I'm put the spikes on. I'm warming up. I do some block starts and everything feels fine, but things start to feel a little off. So I come back and I'm just like, man, why is my foot throbbing? 
and I take off my foot, I take off my spike and there's this big gushing blood coming down my foot. The spikes didn't fit the way that it should fit to my uh, feet. And because it didn't, it was so tight that it started to rip apart in my foot. So I started to say to myself, I said, man, it is really stinging right now. How the heck am I going to do this? Right. Because it may seem small, but this is the Olympic Games. Yeah. And so basically what I did there was, you know, I just tied it up. Uh, I had the trainers work on it, bandage it up and just put it on. But it was always in the back of my head. And so I didn't perform the way that I wanted to in the hundred. Um, but when I had to do the same thing again in the relay, it was a little bit different. And I think so many times we can mimic certain things inside of our head and we should do that. We should visualize. We should put ourselves in position before we're there yet. But experience is the greatest teacher. Right. And once you get that experience, you shouldn't feel necessarily that you can't overcome it. It shouldn't feel that new anymore because you've been there. And once you've been there, now the focus on what to do next, that's going to separate if you've actually learned from your experience or you're still worried by the fear and the doubts and all these things. It's always going to come, but allow experiences to teach you and to help grow you. So I've always said, when you know better, you got to do better. <laughs> and so now that I had that experience of the spike the week before, when I ran the relay, I was like, okay, well, now I have it molded. Now this is not. And so the results kind of came there. That is such a, such a crazy story. I could not imagine like <laughs> I got a new snowboard boot sponsor and I had to change them. Like I wear my snowboard boots for like days around my house, breaking them in, getting used to them. And then they hit a certain point where I'm like, okay, now I need new ones because they're too broken in. There's like that nice sweep spot. And I could, that's so crazy for a runner to change their shoes. Like at the Olympics, I, the kudos to you, because I don't think I would have been able to do that even with, you know, snowboard boots, which are probably less important than running. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm old school. I usually have the same, I usually try to have the same spike until they literally fall apart because I don't like to change stuff. Yeah. Right. I like to keep, I like to do what I know, but you know, I think, I think at that time it kind of teaches you uh, just to be adaptable. Right. Because as great as you have planned something out, you can you could probably think of a bunch of times in your life where it's going to go this way. And then when you're in the position, it doesn't go anything like how you thought it would. So uh, I, I had to I had to divorce a new shoe and marry another one. <laughs> I love that you said the word adaptable, because that was exactly the word coming to mind as you were telling that story. Um, for those listening, if whether they're younger athletes or people outside of sport, how can they train themselves to be more adaptable because we've really noticed over this past year, it's the most adaptable. I wouldn't say necessarily win, but you know, can handle the circumstances because you know, who could have expected what happened over this past year? <laughs> you know, I think this year definitely taught you a couple of things and hopefully it showed you some things about who you are as well too. But I think when it comes to being adaptable, you have to understand that no race, no competition, uh, very few things in life go exactly like how you think it should. So that is allowing yourself, I call it grace period, right? Allowing yourself to have a grace period to say, you know what, this could go wrong here. And so I can't, if something does happen, then I got to roll with it, right? Because when we don't roll with certain things in life, it's kind of like trying to swim upstream, right? When you try to swim upstream, you're fighting this battle and you're going to lose every single time. Right. But if you allow the current, if you flow with the current, you can go and you can find, you know, branches that you could pick yourself out of that stream. So I think you have to roll with it and say, OK, this isn't the worst case scenario here. 
um, there's still some good things from here. And I've learned to find the good in every single situation. Now, it doesn't mean that I wake up and, and look for bad things to come to happen. But I say, you know what? If this didn't go my favor, then maybe I, I can learn something from it and apply it next time. So give yourself that grace period and understand that everything isn't going to go as smoothly as you want it or you think it should. I hope it does. But let's be honest, that doesn't really happen. But being able to say, okay, this didn't go the way that I wanted to, but maybe this did, right? I got to take this part that went well and continue to apply it. And that trains yourself how to flow with situations, scenarios when it comes. I think uh, so many races for me, I always say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run nine, six, I'm going to run nine, seven, but it didn't happen, you know? And so I said, you know what? I had some good starts here. I got to work with this and continue to improve. So I think you just got to give yourself that grace period for something and possibility of what may not go your way, but don't forget about the things that has went your way. I love that. I think that's so important that I, in mental training, a lot of times we just get told only to think positive and just look <laughs> at the good things, but it's so important to prepare and know that like things are not like almost never going to go exactly how you had planned or how you had visualized. And you're going to have to learn how to adapt and deal with those things. And it's actually, it, it is kind of a way to train yourself to be more positive. If you can preemptively like make a list of things that could possibly go wrong and say, this is what I could do, you know, or this is what I could learn from if it does happen. And then you're prepared. You know, Natalie, I think, uh, I think so many people, and you've heard it a lot, I'm sure yourself too. They always say, trust the process, right? Mm -hmm. you no, know, it's all part of the process. All the process isn't fun. <laughs> let's, let's, let's be a hundred percent honest. You know, people always say, man, you got to fall in love with it. But here's the thing. You're trying to fall in love with a sport that doesn't love you back, right? Sports don't love us right? Sports is always going to continue. So when you're thinking about the process, understand there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And this is all part of it, right? Nobody wants to go and do a session when they are extremely sore. And maybe like your back is so tight, you got spasms and you're like, man, how am I going to get through this workout? And you're thinking, man, it's probably easier that I just sit on the couch, watch Netflix and recover, right? And do all these different things, but you can't have the good without the bad. You can't have the soreness without the health. It makes you appreciate all of these things different more. So when you're talking about the process in anything, don't focus so much on the end result, but focus more on the commitment day to day, right? Because the commitments day to day is going to allow you to work with the ebbs and flows and the fluctuations of your emotions and the roller coaster that you're facing. So I've always been a commitment guy when it comes to certain things. You know, how can I commit to each day? and not let tomorrow stress me out, right? Because I see it all the time in competition. People used to beat themselves before they even got into the race because if you're racing on Friday, heat sheets come out Thursday. And now you're looking to see who's in your heat and you're like, oh man, you seen bolts in my heat? You're already thinking to yourself, oh man, he's gonna destroy me. But it's like, yo, it hasn't even came yet. Like, what are you, like, what, what are you talking about? Right. So I think I think um, as young athletes and people in general, you know, we can't put too much emphasis on only the good things. Right. Because we have to understand that everything good in life isn't necessarily the best thing for us. We have to know that everything comes with balance and flow. So, you know, I, I always try to work on commitment, not just the end result. 
I love that. You dropped so many amazing gems in there. I want to, uh, I selfishly want to focus on, you mentioned your training and being sore and things like that. What <laughs> did like a training day or week look like for you? And then what was like your recovery process? I would love just, you know, from, uh, from an athlete perspective, like what goes into yeah. being a high level sprinter? Yeah. So, you know, my days usually started six. I was an early riser, still an early riser. So I usually started six. Um, and that's just for me. Right. I like to make sure that I'm uh, spiritually right within myself and to make sure that, you know, I, I get physically awake for the session that's today. And so when I used to come uh, train, I used to train in Phoenix. And Phoenix gets hot every day. It doesn't matter what time it is. It's just always hot. <laughs> and so uh, usually we have practice. We try to beat the heat. So usually we have practice about eight o'clock, sometimes nine. So you have your track session. They're usually depending on the workout, usually about an hour and a half, sometimes two. Um, but me, I used to go there early because I would always have to get treatment. My body was pretty banged up and I would have to get treatment for about 30 minutes or so treatment, you know, chiropractic work, uh, ART work, or that's active release therapy and all these different things to tune myself up, to get ready for the training session. So that usually lasts about an hour and a half, two hours. Um, and then we'll head over to the weight room. So we used to lift three, four times a week, weight session. Uh, depending on what it is, usually another hour and a half. And then I would get treatment after the weights session. And then I would go, I wasn't really a cold tub type of guy. I don't like being cold, <laughs> but I would usually get into the hot tub or something like that. And depending on what day it is, then you would have maybe a massage once a week. So you're at the track or you're starting your preparation probably from 830 till about 2 30 and then once you get home that's kind of when the recovery process starts and so you gotta nutrition is a big thing uh but i also think being calm in your mind is also a big thing too right because you think about man what went wrong in practice today what went right you know do i got to go back and do some extra work do i got to do this and this and that so it's very important to know that when you are trying to be successful in anything it takes a whole group of people to help you get there, but it also goes back to you being in the right state of mind and you're not self-depicting everything that went wrong. And so, uh, so yeah, for me, six, six hour, six hour day, <laughs> Yeah, that's, six hour day. That's crazy. And you guys got so much body work and stuff uh, that makes me miss being just like a broke athlete. Like I was when I was snowboarding. It's like, I miss those days because now like to have hydrotherapy tubs, to have this whole team of people around you, like it's just not really feasible all the time for everybody. But when you're an athlete, like even if you're not making much from your sponsorships so or you haven't made it to the Olympics yet or whatever it is. It's just so awesome to live that lifestyle where like everything is about like just high performance and getting the treatment and having those people around you. It's, it's definitely something that I miss. Yeah. You know, I think everybody's situation is different as well. I mean, especially like now, you know, when I was in college, it used to be stem and ice, right? Mm -hmm. It used to say, I remember one of my teammates when I was, uh, uh, at Alabama, pulled his hamstring, like pulled it bad, like one of the really good pulls, right? <laughs> and my man was on stem and ice for like two months. And I was like, that's not really going to do anything, right? Mm -hmm. But that was but, but that was all that we had at that time for our situation, right? So I think it obviously takes a village to develop an empire and to get where you're trying to get to. But there are some things that each person can do to help get themselves there, right? So it's it's 
understanding that stretching is a thing. You know, you can always control that. Rolling out is a thing. And you know, it's funny. Sometimes you don't know how sore you are if you've never gotten treatment before, <laughs> right? You don't know how banged up your body is until until you get treatment. You say, you know, this and that. So I think if you are at a position where you're trying to figure out, you know, what do I spend my money on? What's one thing that I could really go and get worked on? I would definitely say a deep tissue massage. Um, it's it's worth the money. Um, it's worth going in there to get banged up and beat on a little bit. I hate deep tissue massages, but I understand the value of it. And so that's what I would say if you know you're you're, you're stretching your change a little bit more. And I would say get that deep tissue massage because kind of ART, you can kind of roll that out with a rolling ball or something like that a little bit. But sometimes you need somebody to get in there in those areas that you can't get to. Yeah. And sometimes if you find a really good deep tissue massage therapist or someone with a background in sports, they can they can be really good at like just the way that they when they feel your muscle, they can be like, I know what's going on like with this right here, or they can just structurally assess you at the same time. So it's definitely like best bang for your buck, because often you'll go to physio, they'll assess you. They'll create like a long treatment plan and, uh, or hook you up to a machine or whatever it is. But often that deep tissue person getting right in there, like they feel things that other people might not have noticed. Yeah. Deep. Yeah. Uh, anybody looking for a deep tissue person, Danielle Chow-Leong, she's the truth. She's the beast. She'll get you right. Um, but I think, you know, also knowing your body, right. For me, I was always very in tune. And I think so many times athletes depend on the chiros and the physios to do that. But you got to know what is happening in your body. Like, why are they working on this muscle? And why is it that they work on this muscle that this side feels better? You got to ask yourself those questions for your knowledge, right? Because when you're trying to be a high level athlete and compete at the most elite level, know why things are happening. You have to know why. And for me, I always said, you know, why are you doing this? And they They'd say, you know, oh, because the T4, I'm like, no, no, give it to me in terms that I can understand, right? I didn't go to school for all of this language. No, give it to me so I can understand it. So don't be afraid to ask questions why they're working on this, because one, it helps you understand what you need specifically. It also challenges them to make sure that they aren't just here, you know, <laughs> that they actually have the background on what they're actually talking about. So definitely ask questions. And I think the more in tune that you are with your body, the better that will be because you may go to, you may have competition in Europe and they may have, you know, people who can do, you know, massage therapy or chiropractic work. And if you know what you want, then you can say, Hey, I need you to can you just check this out right here. So that way they don't go and start tinkering with your body and you go to competition. You're like, wait a minute, I did so much worse. Well, if you knew what you needed, you could have said that specifically rather than letting them open up a whole bunch of problems that you didn't know you had. <laughs> That's, that's such a good tip. Like I, I think I went to physio like frequently since I was 13. Um, just wow. always had like super tight back and shoulders. And then when I was a kid, I rode a, a, a while I was going through puberty, I was riding a BMX and my parents <laughs> were like, don't you want a bigger bike? I was like, no, this is cool. So of course we go for super long rides as a family. My knee is like to my face every mm. time. So I was always going to physio and that was a key thing as I always asked questions. So by the time I made it onto the national snowboard team and we would go through different physios, we go to events and have completely different people with us every time I was able to just communicate to the next person and be like, Hey, this person did this for like five years. I've been working on this. And like, you, you can just lay it out on a table versus there's some athletes that 
They have no idea what treatment option works best for them. Even though they've been doing it for years, they have no idea like Mm. what the name of the muscles are or like how things are connected so that, that maybe they can prevent those injuries from happening because those people aren't following you around every single hour Mm. of the day. So I, I think it also crosses over into other aspects, like understanding, even if you have an agent, the business side and different things, are there any other tips Uh, that you could give to athletes to empower themselves on a multitude of topics that they should know at least, even if they do have an agent or physical therapist or coaches? When I got an agent um, and I raced and I got my first check back, I had to call them. I said, man, where's all the money? (laughs) (laughs) And I say that because if you want to be an athlete in general, not even an athlete, anything, know what it is that is around you, right? Know what it is that you're getting yourself into, right? Because at the end of the day, right, everybody is trying to get theirs. There's nothing wrong with that, but you have to know who is working with you and who is just working for the check, Hmm. right? Because so many times in professional sports, once you get hurt, then what? (laughs) <laughs> those, those one, those checks aren't coming in as much and those checkup calls aren't coming in as much, right? So make sure that every person that is around you is there for you, right? Because if they're there for you, they're not going to forget about you and they're going to continue to fight for you, right? I went with my agent, his name is Stephen Keel. And at this time I was, uh, I was number one in the world. And when I signed with him, um, I had some offers to work with some bigger agents, Right now, Stefan had a man, he, he had some stable of athletes who were some of the best in the world. But I always wanted someone who was going to fight for me, someone who was going to, you know, say, you know what, Akeem, he can get into these meets if you just give him an opportunity. I always want somebody who was going to fight for me. Right. When you think about who you want around you, when you trying to learn the, the business of sport, get people who are going to fight for you, people who are going to literally cover your back and not people who you call and say, hey, did you did you think about this meet? And they say, yeah, yeah, I'll get back to you. Your agent should always be, hey, look, we have this on the table. Hey, we have these meets coming up here. What do you, what do you want to do, right? As someone who is working for you or want to work with them, because it is a partnership, make sure that their heart is in what they are doing. Most people don't want to be there. They just want the money. But understand that this is your career, right? So if you don't take your career seriously, they aren't necessarily going to do so for you, right? You have to be involved and invested in every single detail of your career. It's yours. They're going to get another athlete. People are going to find other people to, you know, get what they're going to get, right? But in everything that you do, yeah, you know, sometimes the business side is kind of boring. Some things are, you know, a little monotonous and like, man, I don't really want to read this whole contract, (laughs) but I'm telling you long-term, this will help you. So, be involved in everything that you're a part of. Learn it if you're not in tune with it. But you don't just want to be a person who just skims over everything and signs everything, right? Be in tune and know that uh, no one's going to represent you better than yourself, right? So you got to make sure that you are fully aware of it. Right. No, no one's going to care as much as you do, right? Like an agent has, you're not their only client and mm-hmm. you aren't them either. Like they're trying to build a business. And as much as they care about you as a person, it's like, for example, as much as I care about my mom, I'm not living her life. She cares more yeah. about her life than I do. Even though I love her and support her, I'm not there every minute of every day. Yeah. Um, so I think as an athlete, you, you can't just walk 
through the paces. You got to, you know, empower yourself, learn about these things and just at least have a basic understanding. Yeah. You know, I always say to young athletes, um, whatever room that you find in, that you find yourself in, like know that you belong there. Right. Because so many times, and this kind of goes back to the question that you said um, about uh, uh, experience. Um, Once you've had something and you've experienced something, right. I remember my first Olympic games compared to the second one, the first one I was 19 um, still first time ever. still relatively new, but I would see some of the people when they would see, you know, like Usain Bolt or Justin Gatlin or Johan Blake and these guys, you know, they would be so excited to take pictures with them. And I'm just like, wait a minute, do you guys understand that you're about to line up with them? Yeah. Right. And so I said to myself, I said, man, like, I was never really a big picture person to begin with, but you belong there. And so when you've been there once before and you go again, that mindset of, okay, I'm not here to just be here. I'm here to do work. Like I'm here to see how, how, how my preparation is going. Right. And I think so many times we get into positions as athletes and we forget that we are, we put in just as much work, maybe even more as they have. We've sweat just like they have. We've went through the ups and downs of the seasons just like anybody else here. Don't get too caught up in the moment that you forget why you're there. Right. Appreciate the moment. Take time for the moment. But understand that this moment right now is your moment to put your full work on display, right? The highs and the hellos, they'll always be there, right? But this moment that you have right now, you may not have it or get it again. Don't doubt yourself. Be confident. Trust your preparation, but know that you belong there. So now do your best to make it happen. Right. Because if you're racing at any other race, would you be just taking pictures with the other competitors? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. That's a- no, you're absolutely right. That's that. I should never, I've never thought about that. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> it would be strange. I, I've had moments like that in my career too, where I had a po- my first snowboard competition. I think I was 14 or something. I won this massive poster. So I, it was on my room until I think until my family moved from that house, maybe maybe until I was like 17 or something. And uh, I show up at this competition and who's standing right behind me, but the girl who's been on my, like this poster for all these years on my room. Uh, And so it was a big thing to have to overcome. And I remember like, I don't want to take a picture. I don't, I remember telling my mom that she's like, oh, did you get a picture? I was like, mom, like, no, I'm trying to like fit (laughs) in. Like I'm competing against her. I'll compete against her again. How can I expect to be at that same level or be taken seriously? If I'm just taking pictures, you know, of course, you know, you can build a relationship, become friends, take a picture or do it afterwards. But I think, you know, you're about to drop in for one of the biggest events that you've done so far. It doesn't make sense to just be changing things up and taking pictures with the competitors. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I couldn't imagine. That's that's <laughs> when when you and this is a personal question for me, when you were going to composition, right, like what is your mindset leading up to it? Like. Because I think too many times people don't really talk about that. You know, they say, uh, what's the word I heard the other day? Uh, Toxic positivity or something Mm, like that. So what is your thought process behind going into competition? Like, are you scared one minute? Then what do you then how do you counteract that? 
Yeah. You know what? There was a time for sure that I went through having toxic positivity. Like I thought as a, as a young kid, I would enter these competitions that I wasn't prepared for. And I would play in my mind, a Cinderella story that I win. And now I'm like <laughs> the best. And you know, like they're like this girl who's never, no one's ever heard of just wins. And, um, what, what happened actually was I went to a competition. I thought that, and I ended up coming dead last. Mm. so that was like I remember just crying and trying to figure it out and the next year I came back and I ended up winning that competition but I went through it in a totally different mindset where instead of you know oh my god there's these idols here and I'm trying to compete against them and I'm just going to come out of nowhere and make the Cinderella story I just said I just need to focus on my run and I'm not going to think about anyone else who's here. I'm just going to focus purely on, you know, what I can do. And I think that's one of the things, especially in snowboarding when, you know, someone could be throwing a better trick than you, but you're not going to learn that trick in the moment. And Mm. so what you can do is just do your run. They might fall and you might still have a chance of winning. You just, you got to control what what you can. And um, obviously there's a ton of things that happen, weather, different things that play into it. But yeah, it's, it's, it is a little bit different, I guess, than like running where, um, you you know, you might go up against somebody who has a better PR runtime, but on that day you were just faster in snowboarding. Uh, you know, someone could definitely have way better tricks than you and you're not going to learn those. But on that day, they didn't handle the weather. They didn't handle the pressure. Um, they, they fell. So you can't think about what they're doing because, um, when you're on that course, like there's nothing else in your mind. It has to be purely on what you're doing. I think that's so great. How you said that, uh, anybody can be beat on that day, right? Like that day, it's such a powerful thing because everybody, you cut someone, they bleed the same thing, right? Like any, any, any person can be beat on that day. And I think too many times we focus on the other days that we forget that this day could be your day. You know what I'm saying? So I always went into competition, even now, before I, whenever I go speak, I'm like, man, like, okay, so this person came, but that was their day. Now it's my time. Yeah. So-and-so is in the race, but Akeem is too, you know what I'm saying? Like this, this right here is my day. And so when we focus on that positive self-talk, now it doesn't mean, I think too many times people think positive self-talk is thinking that you can't lose, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. That positive self-talk is a reaffirmation to know that you're here. And once you know you're here and you can be present right now at this moment, and let's go ahead and see what this body can do. Right. Mm -hmm. And that just comes with that self-confidence, that self-belief, right, that your time could be here and it could be right now. And I think so many times, you know, we forget that each day anybody can be beat. Right. The climb is a lot harder to stay at the mountaintop than it is than than it is to uh, the climate, because once you're there, everybody wants that spot and that's pressure on you to continue to working hard, to continue to do everything that helped you get there while battling father time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so that's, that's, that's good. I agree on that day. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what, that, that sparks another question is, did you listen to music before uh, competitions or did you have some sort of routine? Because for me, it was, I would have one song that I would listen to the whole competition day. And it was often uh, for a while, it was this remix of 50 Cent in the club. 
It was mm. like, it was like, it was, it was still hard hitting, but it was like kind of made it more chill, which in snowboarding, I feel like you got to have that confidence. So you want like some sort of hard hitting song where whoever's singing it, like, is like, I'm the best, whatever. And then, but you also wanted to be chill. So you're not like super hyped up because you want to have good style as you're going down. So did you, did you have some sort of routine with that? Now, that's a great question. Um, here's a story. Uh, when I got to, before I got to Alabama, I went to, I went to a Barton Community College. And once I, it was my first time in America, right? And when I got down there, I was so excited to compete. You know, I was coming off injury and I was just, you know, kind of working my way back. But, you know, I was so excited to compete. You know, my coach was, you know, new coach, new surroundings. And so we go to Nebraska and we're warming up. And all I'm listening to is like high intense music, right? You're talking about the DMX, we're talking about 50 Cent, we're talking about Alkaline, Vibes Cartel, a whole bunch of mix, but the intensity was high. And I remember doing A skips like nobody's business <laughs> with so much power and aggression, right? I was amped, I was hyped, doing my, doing my warm up starts. Man, I was so amped and excited that when the race came, I was so flat. I gave everything in the warm up and a race that I should have won. I'm pretty sure I got like seven, right? But I lost the race because I was trying to do something that was not myself. I'm usually a calm guy. I'm always calm. I'm always cool. I'm always collective. I'm pretty even keel in certain moments, right? So I had to learn what worked for me. The process of warming up may not work for you if you try to give, take somebody else's things. So yeah. for me, um, it was a mix of sometimes intense music, sometimes very calm music, or sometimes it's a podcast. Sometimes it's a motivational talk, right? So I mixed things up. But for me, I learned a valuable lesson because uh, my teammates were listening to all that stuff. And I was like, man, these guys must be excited. to. I have to get on that level, right? So when it comes to a routine, learn what works best for you. And that will help you succeed and keep you in a comfortable state. Um, balanced state as you're going to compete. So um, I learned a, a valuable lesson through that loss. It didn't feel good, but I learned it. That's so funny. I Yeah, that's an important lesson, I think, for anything with training. I see a lot of athletes nowadays, especially with social media, they look up to the pro athletes that I got to do their training. It's like, that's not the training that got them even to that level. Like their training has changed over the years. You have to find what works for you. And, you know, certain hours of sleep might work for one person and it might work differently for you. Someone might say you should wake up at 5 a.m. and that works great for them, but for your clock, internal clock, it doesn't work. So uh, I think it's just really important to figure some of those things out for yourself. So love, love that you shared that. And I, I want to go back to the start of, of your journey, because I know you overcame a lot of obstacles to get to where you are even today. And that, you know, clearly has improved your mindset and helped you with resiliency and the things that you've gone through. Could you, could we go back in time and walk through uh, your sports background growing up and then how you came to even get to the Olympic podium? Yeah. So uh, originally born in Jamaica, um, I grew up very rough, grew up very tough. You know, the place where I was, where I, where I grew up in Jamaica in uh, 2015, um, it was the third highest death rate in the country right so there was 99 deaths in that area alone so where i come from man like it's tough but at that time you know my mom and my dad had a conversation my dad said you know akeem can be a million and one thing in a different country but if he stays here like he's kind of limited 
right? So for a year straight, he worked and worked and worked and worked. And to this day, I don't know how he didn't take a sick day. You know what I'm saying? And saved up his money. And my mom and I went to uh, Yellowknife. Now, why we went to Yellowknife, uh, I mean, I'll never fully know. Yeah, I was uh, going to say that. It's yeah. a big change in weather. <laughs> Huge change. But my, uh, my uncle at the time was in the army and that's where he was located at the time. So, you know, in the 90s, you just needed somebody to help you get into the country and, you know, pretty easy. And so um, from there, uh, we spent about four years there and then we came to Calgary. But at the time I was playing soccer, I was probably actually a way better soccer player than I was a football player or track and field athlete. Mm. But when I came to Calgary, um, that was when I started to be introduced to other things. And I remember um, I played football and I had a coach there. His name was Rob Giesman. And he said to me um, one time I was coming to practice and uh, he said, man, like, why are you why are you always you know running your routes? but you're always falling. Like, what's going on? Like, where's your cleats? He's like, coach, I don't need any cleats. I was like, falling is part of my, it's part of my game plan. Nobody's expecting to fall. Right. And he says, no, man, like, it's like the grass and the turf is hard. Like you need as a coach. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have them. He's like, what? Pulls me aside. And he says, why? He's like, oh, you know, coach, I, you know, I just can't afford them. And he comes by, he says, man, come to my office tomorrow. And so I go to his office tomorrow before practice inside the shed. And there was these fresh pair of white Nikes there. I said, coach, man, whose are those? And he says, man, they're yours. I said, no, nah, coach, uh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't take that. And he says, no, man, they're yours. And I said, coach, where I come from, man, people don't just help you just to help you. Right? I come from a place where if I help you, I'm going to need something back on the back end. And nine times out of 10, it's not going to be anything good or legal. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be something, you know, that's not good. And I said, I can't, I can't take this. And he taught me a valuable lesson. You know, he said, Akeem, you will, the loneliest walk that a person will ever take is the one that they try to take by themselves. Right. And so he gave me those. Um, and he also said before that, he said, you know, uh, I'm sure you've heard the saying where people say uh, sports will teach you a lot about life. Well, for me, I've always thought my life taught me about sport, the ups and downs of it, because I've lived a way harder life than I did the ups and downs of sport. So moving about a year later, um, you know, my mom and I became homeless. You know, I was walking to school regular day, walking back regular day, you know, it was about minus 22 wintertime, you know, Calgary winters are kind of serious. Oh, yeah. Um, because I'm saying minus 22, but the wind chill could probably spike it up to oh. minus 25. Yeah. Right. And so we're walking back and, you know, I opened the door of the place we were staying at and um, I saw three garbage bags there. I said, man, that's crazy. I know, I know we didn't eat this much food in three days in, in a day. Like what's happening? And I get closer and I see my hat and, you know, I see my shirt and I see my shoes. I said, man, this is my clothes. And so my mom is coming down and she says, uh, Akeem, I just need you to go upstairs and get your stuff. I said, mom, what, what are you talking about? She says, Akeem, just go upstairs and get your stuff. I said, mom, it's minus 22 outside. What do you mean go out and get our stuff? She says, son, I don't need you to give me any back talk. Just go upstairs and get your stuff like we have to go. Right. And so at 13, I had a garbage bag in one hand, garbage bag in the other, a backpack on. I had my jacket on. My mom had two garbage bags and we were walking to the bus stop, you know, homeless. And when I came to Canada, right, it was the first time that I had ever seen like superheroes, 
right? Talking about Spider-Man. Spider-Man was cool. He had the webs coming out. Yeah. Uh, Superman had lasers coming out of his eyes. You know, all these different things. And I remember seeing a scene where a lady fell from the sky. And the moment that she was about to hit the ground, Superman came and saved her. I said, man, is this how it is in Canada? Like, that's crazy, right? And so I started to think at some point, like, you know, somebody's going to come and save us. And then an hour went by and then one hour turned to three and then three turned to six. And then the sky started to get dark. And then my shoulder was on my mom's shoulder. I realized, man, they know, they know Superman coming to King. And so I realized in this in life, I said, if anything is going to happen in your life, you're going to have to be the one to do it. But amongst the pain and the chaos, I learned one thing that always I apply to my life every single day. And that's gratitude. Because I realized that even though the situation sucked, that I didn't have to go through it by myself. My mom was with me, right? So I would go to school, Natalie. I would go early. I would brush my teeth in the bathroom. I would wash up in the bathroom and I would go to class, go to practice as if nothing happened. Nobody knew. I didn't show that, right? Because I'm a firm believer that I I just stopped complaining at a certain age, not because I didn't have those dark moments at those times, but I just didn't like how it made me feel. I didn't want to feel bad. I didn't want to feel discouraged. I didn't want to feel like, man, like my life is just, it's just not good right now. So I just stopped complaining. Um, But it was in that moment that I realized, man, I'm so grateful and thankful that I have a jacket. I'm so grateful and thankful that I have shoelaces. I'm so grateful and thankful for all of these things that I do have. You know, I think too many times we focus on what we don't have, that what we see and what we have, we we don't acknowledge it and we overlook it and whatever we overlook, we don't give highlight to. Right. So for me in the midst of that pain, um, you know, I, I learned all those things. Now it took me a while to unclutter the mental stuff, you know, moving forward. Um, but once I got to high school and, you know, we had some help, um, I started to realize that, man, you know, sports could be a thing that really helped me. Um, all I ever wanted to do in track and field, because it was never a dream for me. It wasn't something that I inspired to do. It wasn't something that, you know, I said, man, I want to go to the Olympics. No, all I wanted to do was get my school paid for because mm-hmm. I couldn't pay for it any other way. But I said, man, you know, this could be a passport. But I was a dual sport athlete. So I said, you know what? You know, one of these things is going to pay for my school. Either it's going to be football or it's going to be track. Like one of them is going to do it. And so uh, uh, originally I signed a letter of intent to play football and run track at Florida State University. Um, but when I got to the 12th grade, as I was <laughs> normal day again, um, the Florida State coach calls me and says, Akeem, man, we got a problem. I said, oh, man, what, what, what now? And he says, man, uh, one of the maths that she took in the ninth grade, the NCAA automatically ruled ineligible. Like they took it out. Uh. Like so I couldn't go to division one, even if I wanted to, because the math that I took in the ninth grade, they didn't accept anymore. Right. So I had to go to junior college. And once I got to junior college, it was, yeah, it was August. I say, coach, what's going on, man? Where's the football team? This is the key. Barton hasn't had a football team since 1968. Oh, I, my said, gosh. I said, I said, oh, <laughs> and then I said, uh, well, I guess I'll focus on track for now. <laughs> And so uh, that, that was kind of the focus going in uh, into it. I just turned all my focus into track and field. Um, and, you know, I made it my first Olympic team that year. And then I m- went on to make another one. 
Um, but to bring it all full circle, like I never set out to say that I wanted to be an Olympian. However, I really believe that whatever it is that you commit to, you got to see it all the way through, right? Good or bad, whatever it is, see it all the way through because you never know what great things could happen, but ultimately you never know what you're going to learn along the way, right? As much as we want to reach a specific destination, when we reach that destination, isn't it always changing? We're always saying, man, man, you know what? I think I could do more here, right? That's human nature. We're always going to want more. So I've always just focused more on finishing whatever it is that I started and committing it to, because I think that's more important because it, it transforms you and shows you who you are. Because once you get to a certain point in your life, you're always going to say, man, I wish I would have had more. I wish I would have done more. I think I can gain more. And so for me, I've always just focused on the incremental commitments and the ups and downs of tracks. Yes, it sucks. Of sports. Yes, it's tough. It, obviously, you're not going to go things as well. But I would rather lose in front of 150,000 fans than to go back and be homeless. You know, so, so for me, um, to make a long story short or a short story long, however you want to look at it, uh, that was kind of the ups and downs of uh, my, 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 my track and field career for the most part. Wow. I thank you so much for sharing that journey um, with me and with the listeners. I think that just, it's so impactful. And what you said about gratitude really stuck out because I think, you know, gratitude is getting thrown around that word, uh, word in this past year. And I think a lot of people who lost a lot of things over this past year are realizing the importance of it. Do you still practice like a gratitude practice uh, to this day? Every day, every day I wake up and I thank God for my health. I thank God for allowing me to be alive. Right. Because that's the one thing um, that has always helped me. You know, um, I've always been a person of faith. The first hour of my day is usually in scripture, usually in word, because I got to get myself right. And so being grateful for all that we have isn't this isn't this 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 thing that we should say because it sounds cool. And I think sometimes we just say things just to say it because it sounds good. We're supposed to have affirmations. We're supposed to. But do you believe that? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like. Things could always be worse. And I mean, always, this is coming from someone who has been at that worst. You know what I'm saying? Like wearing the same clothes, like it, it doesn't feel good, right? And the stories that, I don't know if anybody listening, you know, has been homeless in their life, but man, the stories that you tell yourself, like, like the stories you have to break, right? The things that you say to yourself and you're like, wait a minute, why am I saying that to myself? I, I had to break certain things down to believe that I was worthy of good things in my life because I didn't have good things in my life. And so I figured, man, like this is always going to happen. Like something is always going to go wrong. And that wasn't something that, 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 uh, that I initially set out and said that mentality, but certain sometimes circumstances allows us to marry a belief that we didn't ask for. So gratitude for me is always just things may not be as perfect as I want them to, but hey, I got some things here that I can work with. And as we go through life, gratitude puts us in the right state of mind to have positive thoughts, to have encouragement. But when you start with gratitude, it just enhances your state of mind to see the good in your situation, even if it may not be ideal. Mm, yeah, I think it's so important. And I think what you touched on with, you know, believing what you're doing, I think that's 
important as well. Like you're not going to have the effects of anything that you do, whether it's like some guru told you it's the thing to do, uh, unless you truly believe and have the intention behind it. So with that being said, I have two questions I like to end things off with. Um, the first one is, what is one thing that you do every single day that's the biggest uh, game changer in your life? And I know you <laughs> talked about gratitude and stuff already, so let's pick something different. <laughs> um, so for me, um, I, I got to read the word. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, person in getting my source from there. Um, but if I'm not picking that, um, then usually it's listening to something positive. Um, it's not always, it's not always music. Sometimes it's, you know, someone speaking, um, or, uh, but I gotta, I gotta have something positive. Um, if not that, then push-ups. I'm a big push-up guy. I like to get, I like to get the push-ups in. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. And then the last one is you're at the end of your life. Uh, you're a hundred years old and you're looking back. What's the impact that you wanted to have made? That's a great question. Um, uh, so I believe that there is a, a spirit and a presence about each and every single one of us. And that is what people are going to remember. Not necessarily by what we do. Now, what we do, that's external things, right? But the presence and the spirit about us is something that we represent. When I ask people, if there was one word to describe you, what would that one word be? Whatever that one word is, that's usually something that you live. And so if you think it's, for me, I think it's perseverance or resiliency. I just combine the two. And so I hope that when people see me, that they can see those things and they can see, wow, here we have a person who was homeless. Here we have a person who has learning disabilities. Here we have a person who is not perfect in so many different areas, but yet they were still able to not give up, to accomplish these different things. It isn't so much about the accomplishment as much as it is to will to overcome what I was going through. And so when my name is mentioned and when my time comes, I want people to say, man, because I seen Akeem get through what he's getting through with a positive attitude, even though he was battling some of these things, man, and I think that I can get through my situation as well too. I really think everything that we do is much bigger than ourselves. And if we only think about ourselves and what we're going through, we'll stop every time. But when we think about, man, if I get through this, I wonder what, what my unborn child would think, or I wonder what my cousins or my, or my brothers or my sisters or my family line may think, right? What could this do for them? And so everything that I do, I go about it with, it's, it's much bigger than myself, because sometimes when you think of it that way, it helps you get through those moments a little bit more. Um, but I just hope that uh, that the presence and the spirit of Akeem encourages and inspires someone coming behind me to continue fighting the good fight and they can overcome what they're going through. I love that. Well, I'm definitely inspired and I'm, I'm hoping everyone else who just listened to this is as well. You're an amazing speaker, author, you put out great content and obviously an amazing athlete. Um, is I'm going to definitely put your Instagram, your website uh, in the show notes. Is that the best place for people to find out the work that you do and, you know, see your books and your speaking and all that stuff? Yeah, so uh, definitely social media, um, but also the website, www.akeeminspires.com and everything. Everything is pretty much there. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending this past hour with me. I really appreciate it. Love jamming out on your story and all the, the different things that you've done and everything you've been able to overcome. So thanks again. 
Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. We can do this again anytime. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.